hello and welcome to this week's episode of Political Bark. Today we're speaking with the Egyptian ambassador to Norway, His Excellency Ahmed Ramadan. As always, Political Bark desires to analyze and get new perspectives on contemporary issues, and this episode is no exception to that. So today we will discuss Chinese-Egyptian relationships, politically, economically, historically, and especially in, in the light of the COVID-19 pandemic that is ongoing. Um, to talk about these, this, I have a new co-host for the next couple of weeks, Marta Langeran. She works in the international relations sector and has her background both from governmental and international organization, organizations. Her academic background is in Russian politics and world history from the European University at St. Petersburg and the University of Oslo. Hi, Marta. Hi, I'm happy to be here. I'm so glad that you could step in for Plin. Plin is a bit overworked at uh, work, so she can't be here. But Martha is a really great co-host that is going to to present some info, background information about Egypt's uh, historical relations to China. Yes, uh, very interesting uh, relations. So uh, Egypt no- owns the Suez Canal, which is a key strategic shipping point for global commerce. And this, uh, China relies heavily on this as it has expanded its ties, trade ties with the Mediterranean region and Europe. And Egypt was also uh, first among the Arab and African countries to establish a diplomatic relation with China. And this occurred actually on the 30th of May, 1956. Consequently of this, the bilateral cooperation has expanded and can be seen in different uh, signed agreements and protocols between the two countries. And this is especially in economic and commercial spheres. On an economic scale, Chinese investment in Egypt, uh, Egypt and its bilateral trade has grown significantly over the past few years. We're talking about bilateral trade rising from $11 billion to reaching over $13 billion in 2019. And that's really interesting. And those are very big numbers. I mean, the relationship has uh, has really grown in terms of uh, trade, but also in terms of cultural exchanges and political uh, involvement. Now to this year, it's been 64 years of the um, cooperation and friendship between the two countries. And uh, in honor of that, the Chinese Cultural Center in Cairo made a song for the Egyptian people to uh, to honor this, uh, this friendship. But to talk about this issue that Martha and I are not specialists in, uh, but very interested in learning more about, and I, I know that a lot of other people are. Uh, we don't hear that much about Chinese uh, relationships to other countries here in Norway. No, and we definitely should uh, know more about this country, and uh, China's a ever-growing actor, uh, how their uh, cooperation is. So it's such an important topic to discuss today, and especially in pandemic uh, uh, and polarized world we're going mm. into. There's definitely a lot of strategic uh, things going on that we might not always uh, hear about here in Norway or in uh, in Northern Europe that um, the uh, ambassador to to Egypt in Norway, Mr. Ahmed Ramadan, will uh, share some light on share some light on in this episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Political Bark. We are here with uh, His Excellency Ambassador to uh, Egypt in Norway, Mr. Amir Ramadan. Welcome, Amir Ramadan. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be with you in your program today. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, I'm Amr Ramadan. I'm from Egypt. I'm the new ambassador to Norway. Uh, I've been here since December 2019, a few months back, but uh, because of the coronavirus and the shut down at the airports. Uh, I was in Egypt in March and I was locked down there. Uh, so there is like a two months interval. So I consider myself pretty new here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very happy to be in Norway because uh, Egypt and Norway have a very good relation, excellent relation, uh, smooth one. And uh, I think my role is very easy that I need to enhance and strengthen those ties. Uh, so far, so good, no problems. So that is it also adds to what I'm trying to do with my colleagues uh, at the embassy. And also, uh, your ambassador to Cairo uh, is working hard also to enhance those relations. And uh, I'm in uh, uh, frequent, uh, or let's say, periodical uh, consultation with her to make sure that what is she doing and what I'm doing here in Oslo would complement uh, the activities that uh, both countries and both leaders actually want to do. 
It's uh, very, very useful for uh, the Norwegian listeners to hear. We have listeners from many countries, okay. some Egyptians also. Good. Um, but uh, for the Norwegians, I don't think the general uh, Norwegian um, citizen knows so much about Egypt, actually, and especially not that much about Norwegian-Egyptian relations. Um, could you talk a bit about the what, for example, the embassy in the uh, Egyptian embassy here in Norway is working on? to promote Egypt or to talk about... Uh... Uh, we Egyptians, we don't think that we need to promote Egypt because no. <laughs> uh, it's one of the, one of the oldest uh, countries in the world. Uh, our history goes back 7,000 years. Uh, so for in, in many countries, actually, uh, Egyptian history is being taught at primary school. So uh, everybody is aware of... Uh, little part of Egyptian history, understand where Egypt geographically is located and so on. But uh, let's assume, uh, apart from the pride we have as Egyptians, that uh, there would be some who are not aware of, of Egypt. Egypt is uh, a country in the Middle East, uh, actually crossroads between Europe, Africa and Asia. Its location geographically is very uh, crucial uh, in terms of connection between different continents. Uh, also, the Suez Canal, which is a bypass to uh, Indian Ocean, is again an Egyptian canal. So uh, we receive people from everywhere uh, mm. throughout our history. We did receive, and that was also subject to uh, many uh, powers trying to conquer Egypt uh, through history. So we were accustomed to mingle with other people, and uh, Egypt is a pot where people from different uh, backgrounds are there. Uh, Egyptians are basically, uh, we have the Pharaonic era, then we had the Coptic era, then we have the Muslim era. People came from uh, the Arabian Peninsula uh, to uh, spread Islam, and then Egyptians, some of them moved to Islam, others remain uh, Christians, others remain Jews, and so on. So it's a pot where people from different backgrounds and different cultures uh, came together. The good thing is that we are all from the same race. Mm. We don't have racial uh, uh, profiles in Egypt. Everybody is the same, speaks the same language, same color, I'm sorry to say that, same color of skin, same culture, same mm. background. Mm. Uh, the only difference is might be uh, how do they worship God, right. or how would they like to do so. Uh, it's a country of 100 million people. Uh, we are almost one quarter of the Arab world. It's the biggest uh, country in the Middle East. Biggest country yeah. in the Middle East. Uh, from every four Arabs, one is Egyptian. Hmm. Because we are 25% of the Arab world. Okay. So, uh, very impressive. I, uh, I used to work in uh, Egypt the embassy, okay. and then I lived there for some time. Where, which embassy? The Norwegian. Which Norwegian. Ah, yeah. in Cairo. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the thing that um, impressed me the most about society and about the people was that uh, they are, were so different, but they were all Egyptians. Mm. And it was really impressive to see so many different types of looks, different mm. types of religions, and coexisting, co co living together, something mm. I had never seen anywhere before, actually, mm. and I wouldn't expect mm. to see such friendships between Christians and Muslims in... in it's a very harmonized uh, mm. society, I would say, and uh, a very peaceful one at the same time, because of our location, the mm. history, and how we were subject to people have uh, either territorial aspirations or, or trying to uh, advance on us uh, in one way or the other, that Egyptians are very peaceful in nature. Uh, we we do not, in our history, we do not invade other countries. We do not try to conquer other countries. Uh, we don't have that territorial aspirations. Mm. We, we are happy with what we have. Uh, we live uh, over 4% of our land. Mm. Uh, many parts are desert lands. And we're trying to expand that 4%, maybe it's 6 now, over years. When I was at school, it was 3%. Oh, yeah. So it's increasing in terms of uh, cultivating new areas in the deserts and so on, because also of the increase in population. Mm. But uh, that peaceful nature, you need to see it, uh, why Egyptians are peaceful. It's inherent in the Egyptian uh, personality. Mm. So it's not a political orientation. It's mm. more like uh, uh, something inherent in, mm. in, on, in us. And that helps us actually in regional conflicts that we usually try to play the uh, neutral 
mm-hmm. moderator, the neutral uh, mediator. Uh, we don't have aspirations uh, here or there, mm-hmm. uh, either with east, west, south, what have you. Uh, and that's probably why you find the Egyptian role in, in politically is, is quite vivid in the Middle East, because it's a country where people would like to have talks in Cairo, people would like to have the Definitely. mediation of Egypt, mm-hmm. people would trust the Egyptian that they are doing something for the good of their coming together as factions, uh, not that Egypt has demands or aspiration here and there. Mm. Our aspiration is to have peace and to have neighbors living in tranquility. So it will help us also in trading with them. It helps us with tourism. It helps the whole region. Mm. If it is a stable region, it is helpful for us. So we work for the common good, let's Mm. put it this way. And this is not a propaganda. This is not a slogan. This is a reality. And it stems from that uh, political... uh, uh, inherent political orientations towards peace that we have. Mm. I think uh, another thing that also uh, really uh, surprised me is that there's a very joyful uh, kind of happy people, mm. really. The, uh, people are very content. Maybe they don't always have as much materialistic, but they, are, they seem very content mm. and very positive. Mm. That's definitely something that I experienced uh, <laughs> in, in Egypt. That's very much true, that Egyptians are content with little little money, little food, little little clothes. Uh, I think there is a religious aspect on that. Egyptians are also very religious, whether they are uh, Muslims or Christians, mm-hmm. and they believe that God is uh, uh, keeping the, the best for last. So mm-hmm. they, are, they try to improve, mm-hmm. but they are, they are never unhappy with uh, sometimes uh, severe uh, conditions that some families might have. Mm, definitely. And how, how about now during the pandemic? Mm. How are people coping in, in uh, Egypt and Cairo? We started with the, uh, this uh, COVID-19 uh, mid-February. We had the first case. He was a tourist, uh, I think, uh, Taiwanese or Taiwanese. And uh, uh, he was on board one of the cruises. And then the first Egyptian was in uh, mid-March. Uh, Egypt took very severe measures and uh, we were very uh, alert Mm. because of the COVID-19. We worked very hard to avoid having uh, outbreak Mm. because we have, after all, Egypt is a developing country. Uh, We don't have much resources. It's a country of 100 million people. So we would not foresee or we were afraid to foresee a situation where people will get very sick, they will need medical health, medical uh, support uh, at the time when the medical health care system in Egypt is not that strong mm-hmm. uh, to cope with 100 million people. Let's put it this way. It's not about having a good medical system or a weaker medical system, but a medical system that would deal with 100 million people at one go, one time. So again, a number of beds at hospitals, number of uh, IC units, uh, number of respiratory systems, and so on. So the major fight that we had was to try to avoid an outbreak. So that's why the measures were made to try to avoid reaching a situation like in other countries that unfortunately in Europe or in China had. That was quite successful. We were working, uh, trying to avoid having reaching 1,000 cases. So it took us like 58 days or 56 days to reach 1,000 cases. 56 days, that's mm. a lot. That's a lot. Mm. Then the Minister of Health, she several times warned Egyptian that you need to work very hard with me in order not to reach 1,000. Because if we reach 1,000, then situation is different. Yeah. And uh, how the number increases yeah. is, is beyond the, what we want to do. Unfortunately, 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 a number of Egyptians uh, as a society, uh, then the awareness is not that high. So people would mingle and go to uh, crowded areas and shops in rural areas and, and so on without seeing the danger because mm-hmm. the virus you don't see. Yeah. So uh, those who took it lightly that there is no virus, so we'll be okay, don't worry, 
God will help us and so on, they actually helped in spreading the yeah. virus without knowing because you don't feel it except after 14 days or, or so. And there are people who are carrying the virus, but they are not infected themselves. Mm. Uh, the government uh, appealed to people several times on different occasions and on TV and, and that you need to help with the measures. I mean, we cannot implement the measures. We don't want to have a lockdown. Uh, and lockdown like happened in Italy and, uh, for example, uh, Spain for three weeks or so would be disastrous in Egypt because people there are people who are living on daily earnings. Uh, we do not foresee a situation where we prevent people from coming out, there, out of their home doors. It's very difficult mm. because of the economic situation. So we implemented a partial lockdown uh, with a curfew from like uh, 8 p.m. to 6 in the morning. And that 8 p.m. changed 7, 9, according to, to the time of the year or the Ramadan months when people were fasting and so on. And that we hope that people would understand that there is a need to stay at home. And uh, you go out only for necessity, like buying your food, like uh, caring for your parents who are in a different area. The government also made a relaxation in the working environment in terms of if you live outside Cairo, for example, you don't have to come to the office. Your salary is reaching you. Okay. Shifts between people. You are not working on full uh, full power. Uh, reducing working times. Uh, increase the vacation days when it comes with long weekends and they push it to feel like we're, as if we are having total lockdown five days mm -hmm. without having a lockdown. So long weekends were also expanded in that sense. Uh, but uh, uh, three weeks ago, some voices start to say that we need to go back to normal. Our economy is not going well. Business community, some of the business community mm -hmm. came out and said, uh, the government should help the business. We are closing down. We are going to lose jobs. Uh, and and, and we, this is going to hurt the economy, which will hurt the country in totality. So, mm -hmm. yes, there is a health problem, but it's not just health that we need to address. It is health and the economy combined. So any measure we're going to take has to keep in mind a, a kind of uh, balance mm -hmm. between uh, both. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is fine. I mean, uh, we need to listen to different uh, opinion. It's a large society. We had a societal debate on uh, social media, what exactly to do. And I have to say that, for example, older people felt that we should have a lockdown because they were afraid of the rumors and the information that the virus hit the elder people more strongly than younger ones. Let's say younger people has more uh, immunity than whatever. Uh, other people felt differently, so there is a discussion, and, and the government actually uh, applied certain restrictions, like uh, closing Cairo airport and all other airports. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the work environment, mm -hmm. uh, as last week there has been an introduction of, uh, for example, the, the masks and other areas like transport and so on. Uh, there are measures, there is a plan by the Ministry of Health uh, that was approved by the Cabinet, which is an online. You, you can view it if you are interested uh, on exactly what are these measures. And it's uh, uh, divided into three stages, uh, according to the virus. Uh, but uh, I'll give you just one example. Up to 10 days ago, the number of cases in Egypt and Norway were around 8,000. And uh, 8,000 while there are 5.3 million mm. uh, in Norway and 100 million in Egypt. Right. We have the same cases, 8,000 in both countries. But the number of deaths was half in Norway. Half of, uh, half of uh, Egypt. It half. was like 250 here and 500 there. Yeah. Okay. And there is a reason for that, uh, that people in Egypt would go to the hospital or show up to government authorities uh, which is taking care of the virus, uh, not private hospital, but uh, government uh, or public hospitals, uh, they would show up very late mm. when they, because they are not necessarily aware that they have corona mm -hmm. or they are afraid that they have corona to go for 
quarantine. So they will try to deal with it as an influenza mm -hmm. as much as possible. When things get out of hand, they can't uh, breathe. They go to the hospital. It's too late. Very then sad. Very sad. And then, unfortunately, uh, they, those who would uh, fall uh, is higher. The last 10 days, now we are almost uh, increasing 1,200 and 1,300 every day. So we reach 1,000 in 56 days, now the daily. So we are almost 20,000 now. The mutation, the virus is a multiple. Yeah, because people are, uh, I mean, the government is putting the blame on the people and people are putting the blame on the government. <laughs> sounds, sounds like uh, everywhere. <laughs> but... Uh, I have to say, I mean, I think I would be fair to say that uh, it would be fair to say that uh, we as Egyptians, we we didn't take, we didn't follow the measures okay. that we should have followed. And that led to that situation. Okay. Because even according to WHO, they were praising the government for the uh, how we were handling the virus at the beginning. Mm. And that kept going until very last two weeks. Mm. So the change actually took place on around eight, before eight. Eight was twenty fourth mm. or twenty third of May. Uh, that took place on the eighteenth. You mm. see the curves are going up, and it is a sad story because uh, it started going up while it was going down in every other country. Uh, so peak. it's uh, the peak. We haven't reached the peak really? yet. Uh, the minister is saying that the peak should be in the coming in the coming week. Okay. Uh, so you should bear with us for the coming week uh, you do take all the measures everybody can take especially staying at home staying at home is a slogan on tv everywhere stay at home unfortunately people don't stay at home uh, and the government doesn't want to force them to stay at home that's also reality mm. because of the economic uh, aspect of it oh. so uh, it is left for people to <laughs> judge whether that going out is necessary or not and uh, with people with uh, people who are not the level of awareness is not very high. Ah. Uh, you would expect that there is, uh, yeah, yeah and things not going on the right direction. Yeah, yeah. it's very hard to manage. Mm. Very very hard to manage. Mm. And some countries have uh, decided on food lockdown, mm. where nobody can leave, or you can leave for with a permit for some mm. some hours. But mm. still, it's uh, mm. taking into consideration how big the population is. It's extremely difficult to manage. Yeah, which, and the uh, balance between uh, keeping the virus contained and also the economic yeah, implications. Of the but we have seen in some countries that open up very quickly, uh, they had to shut down again. Yeah. Uh, schools in uh, South Korea, for example, mm. it was a very, uh, not very, but I mean, they deemed it appropriate to open schools, uh, which is totally their prerogative. Then when they felt that that measure is maybe uh, uh, premature, they came back and closed. And even those countries who are opening today, they all made the uh, pretext that should the situation doesn't help, mm. then we'll go back. So it is not one go. Uh, I mm. think people, governments are experimenting uh, the measures. Uh, we'll try to do this and see. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't see except after two weeks because of yeah. the cycle of the virus. Mm. I think now this uh, summer, with Italy opening up and mm. France opening up and Spain opening up, it will be interesting to see after two weeks from 15th of mm. June, mm. let's say there's more tourists coming, yeah. uh, how, much, uh, how much will it go up or is it stable? What's going to happen? But I have to say the discrepancy between total lockdown and total opening is so huge yeah. that I, as a person, I cannot comprehend. Mm. If you see photos of the streets of Paris and, and Rome, and even friends who are living there, I mean, how come? Why did we lock down then? If, yeah, if right. people are Everyone goes out again. Like, completely before. crowded. Completely crowded. So, yeah. And I understand people would lock down for three weeks, so they want to go out. That's mm. also understandable. It's human nature. So it's, it's, let's hope that things uh, would go better. I think what we should focus uh, at the the level of the international community, the focus has been on the measures, what to do and how to prevent others to come to cross our border, as if the disease is coming from outside the border. Yeah. The disease is inside the border, so preventing people from crossing the border is not the answer. 
I think what the international community should do is try to work together to find a solution in terms of either vaccine or treatment. Yeah. Even now, we don't have uh, one treatment. Uh, there are different ideas what kind of treatment protocol uh, you should get if you receive or if you are infected with the disease or with the virus. And um, what about medical aid coming from other countries? For example, coming from China, did the Egypt receive uh, any masks or medicine, equipment? At, at the beginning, everybody was looking to China to try to understand what happened in Wuhan, how the virus spread it, uh, how the virus spread, what did the Chinese do actually to contain the situation because they had a successful containment in, in the environment on the virus back in December. Mm. So our Minister of Health went to China, uh, actually with uh, some aid at the time, uh, like uh, disinfectant, masks and stuff like that. And uh, she had good meetings there and tried to understand also what's happening in order to benefit from that uh, in Egypt. Uh, later on, when the situation in China was much better, and uh, we were striving to uh, fulfill the, some of the equipment needs, especially the test kits and the respiratory systems, I think the Chinese were kind enough to return uh, that favor, and they sent us a plane with some uh, testing kits and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, we have to see that uh, the way we are approaching this issue in Egypt is quite open is that uh, we sent uh, support to Italy, uh, to some African countries, uh, to the United States, oh, yes. uh, and uh, to South Sudan, to Sudan, mm -hmm. to Congo, to and others. And uh, we are very open about it because we will be in need of something today, you will help me, and you will need of something tomorrow, yeah. you will help me. So we are not uh, approaching it from a donor versus recipient approach, it's totally different because all of us are affected at the same time, unfortunately. Yes. But maybe in certain weeks, certain months, one of us can do help his sister country more than another month. And then in the following month, that sister country can be in a position to provide help. Mm. So we are quite open at the time we are helping others. Others are helping us at mm. the same time. And uh, I think we need to see this in, from a an angle where people are saying that the coronavirus is going or has already affected international cooperation and that maybe countries in Europe are looking, are looking inside mm. and there each country is locking its borders and doesn't want to cooperate mm. with neighboring countries. We have seen the, for example, Italy and the case with the EU and the package until that package was agreed last week, but there has been a long debate in the previous months and weeks on, on that discussion. Uh, we heard also some media reports about uh, transit countries uh, uh, taking uh, custody of masks that is crossing their border to other countries. Whether that uh, reports are true or not true, uh, but there has been a pessimistic approach or view towards international cooperation mm -hmm. and how it will look like after coronavirus. Uh, and there are people who like to write about these issues all the time, mm. that the world will change and it will look great. No, it will look great. It's, great. It, uh, it's yeah. uh, how you attract, you know, current readers that you talk about something nobody knows about. Yeah. Uh, because mm. nobody actually, everybody is predicting. Nobody mm. has information how it will look like. But, so yeah. from that angle, we were working towards, we can support when we can and when we need, we ask people to support. Yeah. So I think uh, the Egyptian situation here, I won't say unique, but it was quite open. Yeah. That we didn't consider ourselves recipient, oh. 100%, and we didn't consider ourselves donor, 100%. Mm, that's important. That's a healthy way to do it. And um, in May, now, last month, it was the 64th year of uh, Egyptian-Chinese cooperation. So I, uh, I read that the Chinese Culture Center in Cairo made a song for the mm. Egyptian people to talk uh, to talk a bit about the about the cooperation and friendship between the two countries. In your perspective, uh, what is the Egyptian Chinese relationship like today? We have uh, good relations with China uh, throughout, actually. Uh, 
uh, we cooperate bilaterally and we cooperate also at the multilateral level and uh, on many issues, uh, economic issues, uh, disarmament, environment, uh, uh, you name it. And bilaterally, uh, they supported a lot of our cause during our uh, wartime with Israel and we also support their cause vis-à-vis -vis their neighboring uh, countries in, in many issues when the, the international law is on their side. So traditionally, we don't have problems with China, uh, and that's why we have healthy relations uh, throughout that, throughout our, their history and our history. It's a very ancient civilization. Mm. Uh, like China is like uh, one-fifth of the international, uh, one-sixth or one-fifth of the global community. So it is a country that you cannot neglect, whether you like it or not. And uh, I think it's a peaceful nation at the same time. Uh, we haven't heard of China actually expanding or invading other countries in, in the current history, except from the part of the Second World War and so on. With uh, regards to the high level of trade and uh, bilateral cooperation and multilateral cooperation between Egypt and China, I was wondering, uh, are Egyptians here in general very familiar with this close relationship? Is it something that's taught about in school curriculums? Are there encouragement for student exchanges or business-to-business -business agreements? Uh, our relation with China is not uh, unique. We have good relations with China and other countries. Yeah. And we are not uh, viewing these uh, relationships as, uh, you know, either or. Actually, we think all of them are uh, mutually reinforcing and beneficial. We have very good relations with the United States. We have good relations with uh, Russia. We have good relations with China. Mm. We have good relations with India. And cooperation is going between all these countries on separate tracks. Mm. So we are not cooperating with China against anyone as much as we are cooperating with the United States, not against anyone, mm. or with Russia against anyone. What is between those countries, not just the four I mentioned, but any other neighbors, is uh, something that they should solve among themselves. We are not party to this. Right. So our concern is our bilateral track mm -hmm. and, and how to enhance that relation to be beneficial for both societies. Mm -hmm. That is our concern uh, in, in, in seeking this kind of relationship. Yeah. Uh, with China, China is now, uh, forget about the population, we just mentioned that the largest country in the world in terms of population and also vast land. Uh, China is uh, the largest trader in, yeah. in today's global trade. Uh, they are uh, with almost, I think, 14% of global trade. Uh, China is the second uh, donor when it comes to FDI, foreign direct investment, uh, maybe after Japan. And they are the second in receiving uh, FDIs after US. So it's a large country. Mm. It is an important to uh, global economy because mm. of the value chains. Uh, a lot of uh, factories and industries uh, depend on the a lot of a lot of companies uh, depend on the China uh, manufacturer capabilities uh, for their industries. So China is, is not, uh, it is not a partner that whether you would like to single out or work with. Mm, it's a partner okay. for global community. And yeah. I think we should view it in this way. Yeah. Uh, in terms of at least the economic aspect of it. Uh, maybe politically there'll be uh, differences on views on different things, uh, not between Egypt and China, but between China and the West. Mm. Uh, mind you that China is a, full member and permanent member of the Security Council. Mm. We have the P5, you have the P3, the three Western countries, United States, uh, France, and the UK, and you have two Eastern countries, China and Russia. Mm. Uh, the two sides, the P3 and the other two, are uh, comprising the P5. So China, China is an important partner, not just for Egypt, but for the global community. And uh, nobody would benefit in trying not to have healthy relations with China. 
Mm -hmm. But it's it's very interesting because the media portrays uh, now, especially during COVID, they portray it as if it's uh, on one hand uh, following the US or on one hand you're following uh, China. China. Yeah. And as, but but the reality is, of course, not not like that. Uh, I mean, we all read reports that this virus is uh, clinically uh, generated, uh -huh. and uh, we all, I think, have read reports that it's generated in. China or generated in the United States, a conspiracy against China, Definitely. or generated in France. And you hear a lot of this. Uh, I, I, it's not my area. I don't want to substantiate one, uh, one uh, I mean, theory over the other. There are those who say, no, it's a, it's a virus like any other virus. It's just a new version of an old virus. That's why it's COVID-19, mm. because there has been previous uh, strains of that virus before. So. I mean, apart from the medical part, which is not my profession, is that China was affected. And we have people who died in China, mm -hmm. uh, in Wuhan at that time. Many people have died because of the virus. So to come and say that China is responsible for the spread of, of the disease, I think it will be not fair. Hmm? Maybe they haven't taken enough measures mm -hmm. uh, to inform others at early stage. But who knew that that was a virus at the time? Mm. Okay, and we now talk because we know there is something called COVID-19. We have a picture of the virus on our phones, on everywhere. So we know what it is. But back in December or even September or October, that was not known. Right. So uh, uh, I don't think that China is to be blamed that it was affected by virus. Mm. And even if China said there is a virus, what would that would help the virus be contained? I don't think so. So try to score goals on China that uh, because of the virus, I think it's not fair. Uh, mm. Maybe they did wait or late in informing. Maybe, I don't know. But uh, again, they were affected by it more than anybody else. Uh, it mm. started in China. Uh, of course, uh, the situation is bad in other countries, and I understand that. And they try to put the blame on China rather than putting the blame on themselves or their health system or their readiness to deal with the virus or their capacity to deal with the virus or even their political mm. uh, orientation and political attitude towards the virus. Uh, to, to play it lightly, then things went out of hand, then it is China to be blamed. So mm. all of us were aware of the virus by December. Mm. We are in June now. So I think there, we had six months to take uh, whatever measures each state or each country can take. It was its own prerogative and domain uh, to do so. So if we go back to um, China in the Middle East, mm -hmm. China has uh, economically expanded uh, in Africa and more in the Middle East, also in some Asian countries more. Um, they are uh, asking to be non-partial actors. They are there for business. Um, Can, that can be contrasted with the way the U.S. has been involved in the region, in the Middle East, for example, where they have uh, also had a goal of uh, spreading uh, democracy, uh, so to say. Do you think with time the, the role of China can change from being more of an economic partner to having more, uh, let's say, political uh, stances, uh, other types of relationships? Yeah, sure, certainly. I mean, uh, any country, I mean, we have seen in history that countries would have Uh, who start to gain power economically would eventually try to uh, mingle that with political power. So that is normal uh, to happen. Uh, to suggest otherwise, I think, would be quite naive. Uh, uh, but after all, uh, international relations and the weight of power of different partners uh, throughout history have changed. Uh, we have seen the UK before and after Second World War. Mm. It's not the same. But has the UK uh, evaded the international community? No, it's a very, very uh, major partner in international relations today. But it's not like in the 1930 or 1940. Uh, the United States came out of the Second World War more victorious, more powerful than it was before the war, because it was not uh, devastated as Europe uh, with World War II. That's a reality too. Mm. Uh, would the United States became in the 90s after the fall of Russia as a dominant superpower, as the only superpower, as a unilateral uh, power in the world? And so we were talking about uh, uh, two pole uh, 
dual pole system to one pole system. Uh, so since the, everything is changing, you can expect that in the future there has been will be changes also. It might be the EU, it might be Europe, it might be China, it might be India, it might be others mm. uh, countries in the Middle East. I don't know. I mean, these things are evolving; they are not static, and uh, no side has absolute right to maintain his position uh, globally unless he's actually capable of doing that uh, and desire uh, desire to do that position. I mean, the... you cannot have a position and say, "This I'm number one, I'll continue to be number one. Whoever is trying to challenge me is wrong because right. I'm number one. No, challenge, it's an open competition between countries, how the international society would uh, accept partners, partners who would work for peace, would work for security, would mm. work for development, mm. for poverty, for environment, for uh, refugees, and other challenges that the world community is facing. Uh, for example, Norway, I'll just give you that example. Norway is not a very big country, but why it is respected? Because it's trying to play a role in areas where others are not playing, humanitarian assistance, environment, human rights, and so on. So you gain your weight from the cause, from your policy, not because of your size or how, how big is your economy or how big is your army. This is not the issue. Mm. Right. Of course, it helps if you have yeah. a bigger economy, if you have a stronger economy. Right. If you have a larger army, people might think that it is what have you. But after all, uh, how power is gained is, is different and, and it's an evolving situation. It's not a static one. Mm. Um, see also that China's role and it produces a lot of uh, IT equipment and uh, has a different role in security issues. If China deepens its security and political presence in the Middle East region, what does that look like for, for Egypt? Uh, and are there any political common goals that Egypt and China share? I haven't seen personally any uh, vivid role no. for China in the Middle East. So far, China has been interested in the economic aspect mm -hmm. of uh, being present in Africa and the Middle East and the Arab countries through trade, through expansion, through investment, expansion in trade, expansion in investment, uh, building, inf helping in infrastructure projects, for example, in poorer countries. Uh, to the extent that that might have uh, caused some sensitivity mm. in, let's say, G7 or G20 countries. And now they are talking about uh, quality infrastructure. And the word quality infrastructure is means infrastructure that is not Chinese, <laughs> to put it simply uh, this way. Uh, it, we are not necessarily happy with everything China is doing. Mm. Uh, we have our own... Uh, misgiving about, for example, Chinese companies being involved in the Ethiopian Renaissance Dam uh, construction. And we have voiced that to China through our uh, bilateral channels. Uh, yes, China is interested if they have the capacity to support other countries at a time when, for example, uh, aid from Europe and the US is going down mm -hmm. because of not the coronavirus, but because of the situation that Europe was facing even before the corona. Now, after the corona, it will be even uh, more uh, acute, acute situation, uh, I would say, in both in terms of trade and the financial flows and direct investment. Uh, if China can help, fine. I mean, mm. that I think will put uh, ease the pressure on both, on Europe, on the West, and on recipient countries. So I think we, we should try to see a positive role for China. We should all push China to play the positive role, not to think of China as a threat. Mm -hmm. uh, China is a threat like any one of us. Any one of us can be a threat. Mm -hmm. So trying to say that we are China is using its capacity, its capability to be a threat, mm -hmm. as if Egypt is using its uh, capacity to be a threat, as if Norway is using its capacity to be a threat, the US, US is using its capacity to be strong. So mm. uh, think of the good side of, of any society and, and look to the also past history of that society. Was it, was it a society which is violent in terms of relations with other neighboring countries or it was a mild country in its area? Right. Because right. societies don't change that much. Mm. Mm. Very interesting. And... Um, 
uh, in terms of the type of trade with Egypt and China? Do you know uh, specifically what type of goods or services or raw materials are, are traded? I think it's interesting to... Yeah, we, uh, our balance of trade with China is not good uh, because uh, we import like 12 billion uh, US dollars uh, while they, uh, we export only half a million or so, yeah. a little more than half a million. Mm. So there is a deficit in the trade balance. I think not just Egypt, but any country trading with China had a trade deficit with China. Yeah. Uh, it's the mm. question is how, how far can you uh, rectify that uh, uh, balance? But uh, let's say that uh, Egypt exports uh, to China are basically mineral fuels uh, and oils and uh, distillation uh, products, uh, uh, fruits uh, like citrus fruits, oranges and, and yeah. melons and other stuff. The also stone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These things you, you know from your stay in Egypt. <laughs> but they, in the Chinese market prefers the sweet, uh, yeah. sweetest oranges, yeah, the sweetest yeah. fruit. <laughs> uh, but we import also from China electronics like everybody else. Uh, uh, electronic equipment, uh, machinery, boilers, uh, uh, iron goods. steel, plastics, uh, vehicles. These days Chinese vehicles are becoming to be very... Chinese vehicles. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Become very competitive to Korean and European vehicles because of the price. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Chinese vehicles are improving uh, year okay. after year. So mm-hmm. they are no longer uh, the primitive ones that we saw in early 90s or uh, early 2000s. They are trying to uh, uh, improve on them. And what about infrastructure? Is there any Chinese infrastructure being built in Egypt? Yes, they help with some projects. It's true that they, they do help with some project, uh, Chinese company. That's uh, not only Chinese, but others as well. But Chinese are present. Mm-hmm. Coming back to that, you talked about earlier how many, there's been all these speculations and especially about China's role in COVID-19. Uh, Trump has said that he feels like cutting the whole deal with China off uh, as he holds He's been holding China accountable for the COVID-19 outbreak. If the relationship between the U.S. and China is turning sour, what implications will that ha- have for also uh, the, the important and long-standing U.S.-Egypt relationship? It will have the first impact if uh, two big countries like the United States and China uh, continue their uh, uh, trade war. Yeah. Giving it a political angle or a political umbrella, but it's a trade war every Everybody knows about that. If that continues, I think it will affect international trade, mm. first and foremost. It will affect having new, new rules under WTO for international trade. Uh, it will affect increasing the protectionist approach. So it's not helpful to the international mm. community, especially the mid uh, players and the weaker players. Uh, I'm talking about countries that having shares in international trade uh, below 1% and below 2%. So I'm not talking about countries that have 3% of global trade, Mexico or Brazil, but I'm talking about weaker partners. Uh, that would have an effect on, 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 on trade and which will have effect on the economy. So I think that would eventually lead to slowdown of economic activity. We already have enough sources of that. Coronavirus yeah. is one vivid one. Uh, so I think we as an international community should work together to avoid other sources of friction that would affect the economic activities. We have seen uh, factories closing. We have seen uh, shops closing, uh, either temporarily or permanently because of the coronavirus. Mm. I have seen even shops here in Norway uh, that I called. They said they are closed for one year because there are no tourists and, and they only deal with tourists. So, People' uh, earnings is affected. Uh, job opportunities are decreasing because mm-hmm. of the situation, and we still have all of us to see the peak as we go. If there is another hit in September, October by the virus, uh, how we will act as uh, how we will develop during the coming two months over July and August as global community dealing with the coronavirus. If we are successful, maybe things will change. If we are not successful collectively, I'm not talking about individual countries, but mm-hmm. I'm talking about collectively uh, human uh, humanity, how it deals with the problem. Uh, then uh, I think that we don't need to have additional sources of uh, 
friction. Friction. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, uh, how how right. this would affect the U.S.? Uh, I mean, again, as I mentioned, Egypt is a very uh, we have a very clear foreign policy. Uh, we have different tracks with different countries, and we are not mixing these tracks together. Uh huh. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the knowledge about Egypt. I think that uh, Norwegians uh, ought to visit Egypt more. Uh, travel to Egypt is uh, is not that difficult. It's a four-hour, five-hour flight. Uh, we can have. There are actually shorter flights uh, that were going before the Corona virus outbreak. Uh, we can increase that. We. I'm working with uh, some colleagues and trying to see if possible in the near future we can have a regular commercial flight as well. It will help trade uh, mm. of uh, vegetables and fruits. And will also will facilitate the movement of businessmen between the two countries, uh, rather than going through a third country like the situation now. And it will also help in in facilitating tourism, mm. uh, both ways actually. Uh, the the irony or the benefit is that it gets very cold in in, in Norway, especially in winter time. And you can I can imagine uh, a Norwegian family or an Indonesian couple. Going to Sharm el-Sheikh late December, where it is like minus four here <laughs> for like three weeks consecutive with snow everywhere. You go to Sharm el-Sheikh for our flight, and then you can swim in the water. Amazing. So it's totally different uh, atmosphere. In- and it's not that expensive too. No. Uh, Norwegian is a strong society, a strong economy, a rich society. You have like $92,000 uh, per capita a year. Egypt have uh, almost uh, 4,000 something. Uh, so I think that it is easy for we, if it is, it is easy for us to arrange uh, for charter flights and visits to Egypt, not just uh, Red Sea, but there are the monumental Egypt. You have uh, old Egypt, you have Pharaonic Egypt, you have Coptic Egypt, you have Islamic Egypt in Aswan, in Luxor, in Cairo, in Alexandria. Uh, last week we were commemorating the travel of the Holy Family uh, to oh, Egypt. Yes. So there is a lot to see in Egypt. If you want to go to water, you can go to water. If you want mm-hmm. to go to the sea, if you want to sit on the beach, have some uh, sun, you can do that. But if you want to visit Egypt, you can do that as well. Mm-hmm. So the trip is not just one trip. It's not just to come to go biking mm-hmm. or hiking in the mountain. No, you can do several things. It depends what's your taste, what you want to do. But you can, the, the, the nicety is that you can do this throughout the year. You can go to beaches either on the Red Sea or the Northern uh, Sea. I mean, uh, Mediterranean, north of Egypt, where you can go in July. Maybe it's too hot in Horgada in August. You can go to the North Coast. We have nice resorts and nice hotels there as well. Uh, turquoise water, uh, uh, white sandy beaches, uh, people can enjoy. But if you want to do the monument park, you can do that as well. And security-wise, it's also a safe. Uh, it's a very safe place. Safe place, which is, I think, for Norwegians also, it's important to inform that it's uh, that it's safe to go there. And uh, people are very friendly. It's a safe environment. Uh, we also take extra measures uh, through the police to uh, provide security to touristic areas, uh, to the hotels and so on, uh, against Bulgari and and other stuff. So I think if people uh, manage to be within normal areas, there is no danger whatsoever uh, mm. for them. So I think uh, to wrap up the discussion, bringing us a bit more about the initial thing, uh, you mentioned that Egypt is a country full of different ethnicities, full of different people that, that coexist very well. Right now in the U.S., there's a, there's an uprising happening, uh, anti-black racism happening in America. Um, one final question, how do Egyptians relate to the concept of race and are there issues with discrimination and racism in Egypt? First of all, we don't have uh, discrimination in Egypt because we don't have race. So the issue of race in Egypt, as I mentioned at the beginning, is uh, actually is non-existent uh, in Egypt. We don't have different races. We have people from different people who worship differently and that is not the source of friction. Because according to the constitution, every uh, community has to apply its own uh, rules, or marital rules and uh, personal rules and so on. 
comes to marital status, inheritance, marriage, uh, divorce, and what have you. Uh, so this is not an issue for us. Uh, sometimes you hear people saying there is discrimination against Coptic and the Copts are minorities. Not true. Copts are not minority. Uh, Copts is like 1800, 18 million people. So this is not a minority. This is three times the size of Norway and Switzerland, and triple no Switzerland. So mm-hmm. you cannot have a community which is three times the size of other countries. Uh, Okay, there might be individual cases when people, there is a case and somebody trying to use that case to say, ah, I'm not promoted because I'm from a different religion. You fired me because I'm from a different religion. But this is not the reason why you are fired. You are fired because you didn't do your job, regardless of whatever religion or color or where you're coming from, which city. This is not a parameter in the equation. So let's keep this aside uh, for now. Uh, on, on, on the question uh, that, uh, sorry, what was the question exactly? <laughs> it was uh, how Egyptian uh, people relate to race, the concept oh. of race, oh. and is there racism, so, discrimination okay. in Egypt? Uh, we, we live in Africa, uh, and we are among those who actually lived in Africa 7,000 years ago. So before anybody else lived in Africa, Egyptians were there. If you look to the monuments in Egypt, uh, Upper Egypt, you find that most of Egyptians at the time were had dark skin because of the sun in Upper Egypt, Southern Egypt. So for us, the issue of race that I'm darker, have a darker skin, I should be treated differently is a very sensitive issue for Egyptians too. It's not just for Sub-Saharan Africans, but for Egyptians as well. Uh, we have Egyptians who are darker, Egyptians who are lighter than others. This is not an issue in Egypt. Right. But when we travel as Egyptians, and sometimes we feel that in different places, you know, either in the airport, at the hotels, in the streets, in shops, at airports, uh, airplanes uh, from the hosts, for example, it is, it is something that we don't take nicely. Mm. So we are against discrimination based either on religion or race. Mm. That's for sure. And that has been our position either at the United Nations or at the Human Rights Council. So we always supported uh, working together at the international community to avoid stereotyping, to avoid racism, to avoid xenophobia, Islamophobia, and all sorts of discrimination based on either race, sex, religion, color, language, what have you. Mm. And we doing that because we feel that there is discrimination. It is still there. And I, I'm sorry to say it is in Europe. And you can very easily see it in Europe. In Europe, you can say that you don't have discrimination and you are beacon of human rights. You can say what you want to say. But in practice, those who visit you can feel discrimination when they speak different language, people start staring at them as if they are frightened of them. Uh, people, when you enter a place, they, they see you have different color of your skin, different language, different race. Sometimes you are Caucasian or you are Nordic or you are Viking or you are American, what have you. Uh, that there is this sensitivity, not for everybody, but it appears sometimes. Right. 5% is enough for you not to be happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't have to be 100%. So I think what is required is that international community again. I'm sorry I'm repeating international community because these are common challenges. These are not individual challenges. That international community should continue to work towards the profiling issue and Mm -hmm. how to raise awareness. And it comes, people who travel have a better understanding, have better tolerance to the other. People who are confined in their uh, summer houses in remote cities, they have less tolerance to foreigners. Mm. Let's face it, that's, it, happens, uh, also, it happens yeah. everywhere. So we need to work on what is remaining because now we have a global village. We have a one global village. We see the coronavirus hit everybody. We all have internet. We have access different places. We have Google Translate. We have even apps that translate different languages. So the whole community is coming closer. Mm. As long as it is coming closer, I think the discrimination should also be decreased. Mm. And that is not happening by itself. There is a very famous resolution in the Human Rights Council called Resolution 1618. That resolution is basically to work against discrimination against Muslim, Islamophobia. 
but it has a very long title, uh, working towards discrimination based race, color, xenophobia, Islamophobia, and, and all that stuff. There is another resolution uh, that talks about discrimination against people from African descent, mm. especially people from African descent. You mentioned what's happening in the United States today. That's exactly where that resolution is. Not just for America, but for other countries that have people from African descent. It is there. It, we cannot hide that the problem is there. The question is how we can, can we, let's put it this way, can we uh, eliminate the problem or can we work towards elevating it, elevating it a little bit, mm. make it much better, mm. less and less. Definitely. I think a bit by bit we can reach there. Right. If there, we have a common uh, understanding, we are ready to work together towards that uh, le that destination. But if we continue to play the superiority approach, I'm better than you, I'm more advanced than you, I'm richer than you. We I'm, will never. We never reach there. <laughs> Get there. No, definitely. So we have many, many challenges ahead of us as a, as a community, as an international community, and we have to work together and stick together to find them. Yeah. <laughs> the, the best way to solve them. And each one, according to its capacity. Right. For yeah. example, there are things that Egypt can do, but can do better than Norway. And there are other issues that Norway can do better than Egypt. Mm. You don't have to do exactly what I'm doing. I'll do what I can do. And you do what you can do. And it's not do. a race. No, no, yeah. not on race. I mean, generally yeah. speaking, it's very important. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. We uh, really enjoyed all of the different perspectives from Corona to China's role and uh, Norwegian Egyptian uh, relations, Norwegian <laughs> relations, and, and lastly on race. So, yeah. thank you very much, Thanks you. Ambassador. Thank you. Thanks you. And on that note, I want to finish this week's episode of Playco Bark with a Egyptian summer song that has been top of the charts in almost all of the Middle East in the, the summer two years ago. So hope this gives you a little intro to Egyptian music.